If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. So uh, today is Palm Sunday. Yeah. Um, amen to you as well, dog. Um, so I don't know which dog that was, but um, really enthusiastic about Palm Sunday. So, uh, so it's Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday traditionally is all about power dynamics. It's this is this is the, traditionally this is the Sunday where we remember uh, Jesus's entry into Jerusalem and on a donkey and not on a chariot. And this is all about power dynamics and how how we think about power and how Jesus embodies power. And so, what we're going to do today, instead of looking at that particular story, we're going to look at a passage. Um, written by a guy named Paul about Jesus's relationship with power, because that also has to do with Palm Sunday. And so this is one of the lectionary passages for today in the book of Philippians chapter two. And the thing about power is sometimes, sometimes we feel like we have a lot of power. Sometimes we do have a lot of power when it comes to our relationship. If, we, if you have smaller kids and you get to decide when bedtime is and you get to decide that they're going to brush their teeth or they're, they're going to take a bath tonight. Like they have less power than you. Or maybe you have a job where you have a certain amount of power. Maybe you ha- you, you're sort of higher up on the ladder and there are people who answer to you whether they like it or not. And you have a certain amount of power. But also sometimes you have no power. Sometimes you're lower on the ladder and you have to answer to other people. Or sometimes your kids realize <laughs> that you actually maybe have less power than uh, than you want them to believe that they do or that you do. Or as they get older, they begin to realize like, oh, I've, I actually, I have a little bit of like flexibility in how much power my parents have. Like I can actually, um, my parents' power is a little bit limited in these particular regards. And so our, our relationship with power seems to be always sort of in flux. Like sometimes we have a lot of it. Sometimes we have very little of it. And the feeling of having very little of it quite often can be very frustrating. In fact, I, I, I can remember there are certain times in my life when I felt powerless and that's a, that's a bad feeling. Like there, 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 there's this sort of vulnerability to it. There's, there's an anger almost that kind of comes with having very little power. I remember um, there, there, there was one particular time before we moved into the building that we, we, we had kind of a negative, we were we were in a hotel space, and for the most part, our in our relationship with the hotel space was was really good. But there was this very brief window where there was a management um, switch, and the new management was less excited about us than yeah, you got it. Um, the the new management was a little bit less excited about a church being in the in the space every week than the previous management had been, and so they went out of their way to sort of um, express their annoyance with us and i um sorry we had a train like i'm there's a part of me that's like we'll we'll go back to having the train go by but right now it's just a dog so um anyway so there there was this moment where i had this realization of oh the, the manager of this hotel actually has power over us over whether or not we have services and I really didn't like that feeling and or not over whether or not we have services, but over like what size room we're in and whether or not um, the things that we need are, are taken care of. We, like we can't just take that for granted because this person actually doesn't care that much about whether or not we're here. And and so there was this kind of shift in power that made me feel kind of like, again, like powerless. And th- there is this 
And I remember feeling very frustrated about that and actually like driving around to it. Like I spent one afternoon just out of frustration driving around to a bunch of other hotels, like looking for other spaces and realizing like, oh, there just aren't a lot of hotels that have the capacity to host a church like ours. And so like my, like, and so every time I went to a hotel and realized like how, like, oh, we can't use this space. Like the amount of power I had got smaller and smaller and smaller. And it, that's, that's kind of a, that's a difficult feeling. And I don't know, I don't know if you've ever, I don't, and, and so we ended up staying at the, at that hotel until we moved into our space that hopefully we'll be returning to very soon. But um, I've been around people who, who feel like they, they're entitled to a certain amount of power. I've been around people who feel like they're, the best thing that they can do is express that amount of power. It's to like puff out their chest and like thump, like do the silverback gorilla kind of thing where they, they feel like they have to be the most powerful person in the room. In fact, I've only, in my entire life, I've only been around one person who unironically used the phrase, do you know who I am with another person? And it's very embarrassing. Um, and I, I, rem- I, I, I will not give the details of that story because I don't want to embarrass the guy. But um, I remember, I remember this person like not getting what he wanted from somebody else, and then this person like his, like his back got straighter, and he he literally pointed his finger at the other person, and he said, "Do you know who I am?" Which is again, it's very embarrassing because the answer, of course, was no. And when when you try to like flex like that, and nothing happens as a result, it really shows how powerless you are. And so what this guy was trying to do was express like how powerful he was, but what it ended up revealing was how little power he actually had. And it was uh, not his best moment. And I think later on, we, we were at lunch later, and I think he, he, he had this, this kind of like, oh my gosh, I actually just said, do you know who I am to that person? And it was very uh, off-putting to everyone. So here's why we're talking about this, because in uh, like the whole concept of Palm Sunday, the whole thing that we're looking at today is what what is our relationship with power and in what way does Jesus embody our relationship with power and in what way does Jesus embody like, the notion of power and how do we how do we then how are we invited to have a relationship with this notion of power is the invitation to express our power is is the invitation to grab for more power or is the invitation to do something else? What does Palm Sunday remind us of? And so in uh, the book of Philippians chapter two, Paul writes about Jesus's relationship with power. And this is what Paul writes. He writes uh, in uh, Philippians two, verse five, he says, in, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So how in how we relate to others, he says, do have, have the same point of view that Jesus had when he related to people, which raises the question, so what was Jesus's mindset? Which is how we get into verse six and says, who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so Jesus, what we find 
is, according to Paul, Jesus is equal to God, but also does not consider that something to be grasped for, that this equality is not necessarily something to be exercised, but something to be sort of almost overcome in a certain way, or almost um, pushed aside in a certain way in in order to better relate to humanity. So Paul writes that Jesus, he, write, he, he, he writes, he says, Jesus made himself, and he uses the phrase, he made himself nothing. And in Greek, this is the word kenos. And kenos literally means that Jesus empties himself. So what we find, what is Jesus's relationship with power? Well, Jesus has power, but in Jesus's interaction with other people, Jesus empties himself. The general idea here is that Jesus empties himself of his godness, that there was some part of himself that needed to be sacrificed. Even before Jesus is killed, there is a sacrifice being made. There is an emptying of, of Jesus's self happening here. So the basic idea here is that out of love, Jesus empties himself so that we might be restored, redeemed, drawn closer to God. So what's interesting, again, and Paul really articulates like sort of the godness of Jesus, but if you go back to the book of Job, chapter 38. And this is just one example, but the Bible talks about God as an all-powerful being. There's lots and lots of language in the scriptures about sort of the kind of the endless breadth of the power that is God. And so in Job 38 is one, just one of hundreds of examples of this. But in Job 38, um, if you look at verse 31, it says, um, it says, can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? And these are constellations in the sky. These are bodies of stars. It says, can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead the bear with its cubs, which the bear is another constellation. Do you know the laws of, of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Um, and then if you jump down to verse 35, it says, can you send the lightning bolts on their way? And then in verse 37, who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens? when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together. So again, they're, they're, the stated idea here, and this is just one, this is one small window into this larger body of work that continues to over and over and over again express the, the endless amount of power that the God of the Bible has. So the stated idea here is that God controls the entire created order. All through the scriptures, there is this insistence of an all-powerful, all-knowing, limitless God. So if you are this God and you have this level of control, how do you show love? Well, according to Paul, you empty yourself. Jesus makes himself nothing. What does God do in order to show love? God releases God's power and instead empties himself in order to show love to humanity. It's like love, it's, it's almost like love and control exist on opposite ends of this very long continuum. And you can either exert control or you can show love, but it's very difficult to do both at the same time. In fact, I, I, would, I would assume that the people you know who are the most loving also happen to be the least controlling. It's very, dif- it's very difficult to feel both controlled and loved at the same time, is it not? So in fact, look at how Jesus describes his own role in the world. Look at Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew 20, beginning in verse um, 25, 
Jesus, it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, meaning specifically probably referring to the Roman Empire, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here, Jesus talks about how, yeah, there is this mode of being that everybody's familiar with. When you look at the Roman Empire, there is this very familiar mode of being, which is we will, we will dominate you by force. We will control you. And that is how we will express our relationship with you. And then Jesus says, yeah, but the real way to life is to empty yourself, is to become less, is to become more like a servant. For some reason, God chooses to love by giving away God's power. There is, there's a book that I read um, not that long ago called Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Dumay. And the whole book talks about how like the church has sort of been for, for centuries, really, um, or, but, but more specifically throughout the 20th century and into today, the church has been dominated by kind of this um, patriarchal toxic masculinity. And what it often comes out as is sort of like this like manly man, like power dynamic, like men, men are going to be men and men are going to charge into the world and men are going to ex- exert control and power. And that's, um, and that's how things are going to be. And, um, and, and in the book, it, it shows like sort of like where this kind of thinking came from and how, how damaging this has been to just generation after generation after generation. And I think one of the things that we see here is like, yeah, that was never really the idea. The vision here was never for like, again, sort of like the, the, the silverback gorilla, like chest thumping, like way of interacting with the world around us. Like that was never the call. The call here was always to become like a servant. The call was always to release control in order to show love. And that when we allow sort of like this notion of like power over to be our posture, we are becoming less and less like Jesus. And Paul says, no, how you interact with each other needs to look the way Jesus interacted with each other or with, with people. And how did Jesus interact with people? Well, Jesus empties himself. Jesus allows for other people to be important to him and in in the world. Jesus is God's way of saying, I will not make you love me. I will not make you be loving people, but I'm desperate for you to. There's a a book that I read several years ago by Ian Morgan Cron. It's called, this title is great. It's called Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me. So um, anyway, in, in the book, it's, this is Ian Morgan Cron's kind of memoir and uh, his, his um, just sort of chronicling his experience and his journey, um, like growing up in, in church and kind of his, his modern, his, you know, relationship with the religious establishment. And he talks about early on in the book, he talks about one experience that he had, and it's kind of a long story, so I won't get into it, but, but he talks about like a really hurtful negative experience he had in a church when he was a kid. And then later on, he talks about how he was taking communion. And while he was taking communion, he had like this mystical experience. He believes that he heard a voice tell him that he was sorry. Like, or that he said, I heard a voice say, I'm sorry for the, um, for, for that hurtful experience that you had when you were a kid. And, 
and there, there, there's a section of the book where he's kind of trying to puzzle out like, what was that voice? And what, like, why, like, what was a voice? Why would a voice apologize to me? Where did that voice come from? And so it's like he heard like this, this internal kind of spiritual voice of, I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm so sorry. So, and, and so he writes, and I'm gonna read to you kind of how he, he, he writes about this. So it says, for many years, I puzzled over whose voice I'd heard apologizing apologizing to me at that communion service at St. Paul's. Was it an imagined conversation between my father and me, an apology I was making to myself? Or did I dare believe what I suspected, that it was Jesus? This was a theological impossibility, wasn't it? What would a perfect, or what could a perfect God have to apologize for? I asked a few PhDs what they thought and was given a wide range of eloquent opinions, but it was Miss Annie who solved the mystery. Miss Annie was an elderly black woman we'd met at a church we attended in Denver when I was in seminary. During services, her large lap was a revolving rest stop for no fewer than three children at a time. Miss Annie and I were standing at a grill flipping burgers and cooking chicken at an all-church barbecue when I told her about that night at St. Paul's when I'd heard that voice apologize to me. Miss Annie, I said, is it wrong for me to believe that it was Jesus who asked for my forgiveness? She frowned and shook her head. Lord, what did they teach you at that school? She said. Then she faced me head on. Did God humble himself by becoming a man? She asked, every word spoken more loudly than the one before. Yes, ma'am, I said. I'd never used the word man before, but it seemed like an excellent time to start. Did he, hum did he humble himself by dying on the cross to show us how much he loved us? She asked, waving her spatula at me. My eyes, wa my eyes widened and I nodded yes. Miss Annie's body relaxed and she put her hand on her hip. So why wouldn't Jesus humble himself and tell a boy he was sorry for letting him down if he knew that it would heal his heart, she asked. But if Jesus is perfect, I said, Miss Annie ambled the five or six feet that separated us and took my hand. Son, she said, rubbing my knuckles with her thumb, love always stoops. Uh, th this, this phrase has stayed with me. I, it's been like five years since I read that book. And that, this phrase, this story has stayed with me ever since. Love always stoops. What is Paul saying? about Jesus in Philippians 2. That Jesus is God's way of stooping. That love always stoops. So as we enter into Holy Week, as we approach Easter, as we consider how we interact with other people, how we think about our own relationship with power and the people in our lives, um, and any anytime we have the opportunity to puff out our chest or, or try, try and grasp for more power, I think maybe the question, the, the answer we're looking for comes from Miss Annie in this book where she says, love always stoops. You can choose whichever posture you want, but love always stoops. What, what does it look like to interact with the world like Jesus interacts? It looks like becoming more concerned about the well-being of other people. It, it looks like asking, what does, it do for, what does it look like for me to empty myself out of power or greatness or bigness? And instead, to, to stoop, to become less, to empty myself so that something, so something more like love can take that space. Because love and control have a very difficult time existing in the same place at the same time. So may we be the kinds of people who stoop. May we be the kinds of people who love. May we, when given the opportunity to grasp for more power, loosen our grip and instead say, no, no, no. This is a space where love can be. Love always stoops.
May we be the kinds of people who embody that as we enter Holy Week. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for uh, this, this beautiful reminder that love always stoops. We thank you for the reminder that our calling is not to grasp for more power, but to empty ourselves and to become less so that love can take some kind of space in our midst. Uh, forgive us for the times when we grasp for that power, for the times that we puff ourselves out, for the times that we try and exert some sort of control where really what we needed to do was to show love. May we hear these difficult words. May we enter this week with a posture of love and stooping. May we empty ourselves so that some kind of love can take our place, can, can exist in our midst. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here with us uh, today. We will, again, if you're unable to be with us in person next week, uh, there will be something here on the feed for you um, in, uh, in, in that place. But for those who will be with us, we are so excited to see you again. Um, please be safe, stay healthy, and we will see you soon. Grace and peace be with you. And also with you. Yeah. <laughs>